You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Packernet Podcast. I am your guest host and panelist for today, JJ Leahy. Check us out online at packernet.com and follow me on Twitter at JJ Leahy. Thank you for tuning in. I was asked to step in and fill in today's episode on pretty short notice. And my list of future podcast topics I want to get to has kind of been exhausted. I have a pile of just things that are really interesting to me. So I think we're going to just work through those one by one. And that way you have a Packers podcast to listen to today. And I get to talk through some interesting things, but normally I do like to be a little more prepared than than I am today. I will say, and I'm not going to get to this right off the bat, but I have been working on a project. Actually, I guess I, for the most part, finished this project kind of a while ago. I tried sharing it on Twitter, and I think people didn't really know what they were looking at, and the interest level was like extremely low (laughs) compared to anything else I post. Um, So I'm going to explain it, but it's a, it's a project that I'm really excited about. I started this project at the, oh man, early on in the 2020 season, I messaged Ryan and I said, Hey, I've been doing some thinking and the whole strength of schedule thing sucks. It's a, stupid and just useless sort of metric that we have that is not predictive of anything. And I said, I have a great idea for how we could potentially have a better metric for that and maybe predict who is going to have a great season this year. And Ryan's like, okay, cool. You know, throw it together and let's, let's see what we got. And I ended up, kind of put it on the back burner until the season was over. But I did do the work and I put together uh, this algorithm in Excel that is super interesting to me. I have not been able to find any football people (laughs) that are interested in math enough to be excited about this. But I have some math friends who don't care about football who dug into it and were super geeked out about it and thought that it was awesome. And we had a, we had a blast discussing it. Um, see, we got together what a month ago, I think me and some, some math buddies, uh, it makes me sound like a giant dork that I have math buddies, but I have math buddies. Okay. Get over it. So anyways, that algorithm is the thing I know I'm not going to forget about. So I want to touch on some news and notes first, and then we'll get into the algorithms. But if you haven't already, please check out my other podcast. I do a weekly podcast on Packers Talk with Gil Martin. It publishes every Friday morning. Um, 
It's called No Huddle Radio. You can find it on any podcast platform by searching either No Huddle Radio or Packers Talk. If you subscribe to the Packers Talk podcast, you get a bunch of other people as well as me. There's some great podcasts on there. Um, Right now, uh, Gil and I are the only ones publishing regularly. Uh, I guess uh, most of the other shows on Packers Talk kind of take uh, hiatus during the offseason. Gil and I are not. We have never missed an episode since we started in week three of the 2020 season. So our first ever episode was the New Orleans Saints game. And what we do is uh, during the regular season, well, the football season, I guess, because the playoffs are not any different. We do deep dives on the upcoming opponents. So we do a lot of research. I listen to, gosh, seven to ten podcasts during the week um, on the uh, opposing team we're going to be playing. I watch a lot of film. I usually rope in Coach Hahn and ask him to watch film with me and help me break down and understand what I'm seeing. And then Gil and I get together, and we talk about tendencies of these other teams. So think about this. If you were hanging out with a friend who was a fan of a different team and they were not familiar with the Packers, and... They were coming into that game with not really any expectation of what the Packers are like uh, currently. They're going to be leaning on like these general understandings of what the Packers have been over the last few years. And you know that's not really going to be an accurate assessment of where the team is standing right now. They're going to be not really taking the run game into account, assuming that the defense is automatically you know, not that great since Clay Matthews is gone and he's like the only player that they can remember outside of Jair Alexander. And they're certainly not going to be thinking about guys like Alan Lazard, uh, Tyler Irvin when he was here and what kind of role he was going to play, understanding which uh, linemen might be out that week. You know, hey, we got uh, Lane Taylor got injured and so... Now we're going to be asking Lucas Patrick to fill in there at at right guard. The goal of no huddle is that we want to catch you up to speed completely on that kind of a situation and what the opposing teams like to do offensively and defensively. And I am extremely proud of our record last year. Our, our hit rate was very high. We, uh, I think the Buccaneers game, the fir- the regular season Buccaneers game is one of the only times when we were kind of surprised by the results of that game. And obviously a big part of that game, a big theme of that game was the entire team falling apart. But I mean, you look at the Carolina Panthers game, I think is one of the ones that we were the most excited about after the game was over because Gil and I nailed spot on. We said, look, Fans are going to be mad after this game because they are coming into this expecting that the Panthers are a terrible trash team. Christian McCaffrey is out. They're going to assume this is going to be a pushover team. And we're here to tell you that the defense is going to throw wrinkles at the Packers that they are not prepared for. Uh, The casual observer is going to watch it and just say, wow, the Packers offense stinks today. Not realizing that, yeah, the pa- the Panthers have a terrible record on this season. They have lost most of their games, but they have lost 
almost all of their games by five points or less. They're keeping it close. Okay, they can't close out the games, but they're making every team they play look really bad. So we watched that game, and my reaction, me and Gil, we were watching it, and we said, this is actually going slightly better than we thought it would. Uh, we're, we're pretty pleased with how uh, the Packers' offense is handling this weird, goofy, uh, college-style defense that the Panthers are employing. And sure enough, you hop on Twitter and, oh my gosh, people were trying to burn the Packers down. <laughs> like, look, we won the game and everybody's mad because we looked bad doing it. No, 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 no. If you listened to No Huddle, you would have known what to expect from that defense. You would not have been surprised, and like Gil and I, you would have been actually pleased with some of the stuff you were noticing and some of the individual matchups that we saw guys winning. So, that is my plug. I hope you check it out. Again, that's every Friday morning, No Huddle Radio on Packers Talk. I've been holding off from you know promoting that show heavily here on Packernet. Uh, but with the number of times I've filled in here on Packernet and especially, you know, just short notice over here, I said, hey, you know what? No Huddle's getting a little bit of love today. Also, I have been doing a lot of grilling. I know that's kind of Ryan's thing. I'm not trying to hijack that, um, but it is an interest that Ryan and I both share. Actually, I messaged Ryan just a couple days ago, and I was asking him some advice on grilling, far from the first time I've done that. Um... I have been making burgers, and I'm just, I'm really struggling a bit here. I would think burgers should be one of the easier things to grill, and I live just about five minutes away from my parents' lake cottage, and they have a nicer grill than I do. When I grill at my parents' lake cottage, everything I make is fantastic. The burgers are to die for. When I come home and I grill my burgers at home, it's like a nightmare. So I, I have a I have an ask, and I also want to share with you a a win that I have been experiencing with these burgers. So my ask is please hit me up, share your your grilling secrets and especially your burger secrets with me. Um, Ryan already shared his. I tried them out. They were Definitely better than what I had been doing, uh, but I'm still just really struggling with the temperature um, of the burgers on my grill, even though I am using a meat thermometer. I do have a gas grill, but so is the one at my parents' cottage. So I want to hear your go-to burger grilling secrets slash recipes, and I also want to share with you my perfect burger that I have been making and when I am using the better grill, the doneness of the burgers is coming out a lot better. Uh, but but forget that part where, you know, I'm griping about my grill not cooking it to the right temp. Here's what I do, assuming the grill is doing what I want it to. So I, I'm a big fan of, of butter burgers. Uh, you know, most of you listening probably are from the uh, Wisconsin or Midwest area. I live in Michigan. We do have Culver's here. Um, Culver's, I know, is a, an even bigger thing in Wisconsin than it is here in Michigan. But butter burgers are phenomenal. Take a block of butter. I use the frozen butter. Cut it into 
you know, dice it up into little cubes, mix those cubes of butter into the ground beef. Uh, I don't do that every time, but it is something I really enjoy doing. Whether I do a butter burger or not, I like mixing some black pepper into my um, ground beef as I'm mixing it up and making the patties. Then once I pull it off the grill, notice I'm skipping the grill step because I, it's hit or miss for me when it's actually on the grill. I am preparing grilled onions, grilled mushrooms, and grilled green peppers all together over on the side. That part is kind of optional. It makes a big difference to me, but a lot of people can't do uh, mushrooms or, or peppers or even onions. So what I've been doing, in addition to those grilled veggies that just take these cheeseburgers to the next level. I've been putting four sauces on my burgers. You got your ketchup and your mustard, obviously. Third one's not too hard to figure out. It's mayonnaise. And then I top it all off with barbecue. The barbecue and mayo together, combined with the ketchup and mustard. Somebody else turned me on to this, and I have been obsessed, just in love with this combination of four sauces on my burger. And I do equal amounts I can't do very much of it because when you're doing four different sauces, you quickly run out of, you know, uh, meat and bun that can absorb the amount of sauces you're putting on there. So I do a small amount, equal amounts. And again, I know mayonnaise, again, is something that is a little bit controversial with people. A lot of people don't like mayonnaise. Trust me, you're not going to taste the mayo at all. I promise. Those four sauces change your burger. And again, I do heavily uh, heavily recommend the grilled onions, mushrooms, and green peppers. They're phenomenal. You end up with a very messy cheeseburger. Uh, Sometimes I like to put Munster cheese on my burger. Uh, Pepper Jack is obviously a big winner. I got some nice cheddar cheese. However, I have been struggling with getting the correct temperature on my grill. And I, I keep coming out where these burgers are either too well done or more commonly, they're not well done enough, and my wife can't do rare burgers. She just absolutely is too picky for that. I like mine mid-rare, but anybody out there who does appreciate grilling and has had some success with it and has some recipes that you'd like, please hit me up. I'm always down to talk grilling or football. The best way to get in touch with me is on Twitter at JJ Leahy, L-A-H-E-Y. But I am also uh, in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. If you're not a member of that, you need to get in there. Shoot me your favorite burger recipes. So I suppose we should talk some football and probably some Packers as well. Everybody on Twitter is mad right now at Mark Murphy. I'm going to play for you the audio clip and let you kind of ruminate on that. I'm often reminded, though, uh, have uh, Ted Thompson, I think most of you know, just a great general manager, uh, passed away uh, this past year. Excuse me, earlier this year, uh, often talked about Aaron, that he's a comp, or, and it wasn't just Aaron, a lot of different players, he would say, he's a complicated fella. So I'll just uh, say that. So this was speaking at an event at Lambeau field what exactly was going on i don't know can't find that information the general reaction to this is oh mark murphy is a big doofus who said something silly that probably doesn't mean anything at all but does not help the situation and i think that's probably fair it's a little weird to be attributing that quote that we've never heard before to a guy who is no longer around to 
you know, elaborate. It's also, although probably extremely true, not a very flattering thing to say. Now, he did at a later point go on to elaborate or reiterate that the team is extremely committed to this, quote, complicated fella. I think leaving that out of the (laughs) quote that's being shared around is not the greatest form. I guess I don't love hearing this since, you know, basically a week ago, Murphy had other comments taken out of context or misquoted when he said that the Aaron Rodgers situation has divided the Packers fan base. That was immediately run by media outlets as Aaron Rodgers is dividing the Packers fan base, which is a gross mischaracterization of what he said. But I also think that people kind of need to just let go of this. It's not a big deal. Aaron Nagler, I know, does not have the uh, best reputation (laughs) among a lot of Packer fans. I like him. I think he's fine. He's harmless. But he did he did have a reaction to this that I thought was pretty funny. Here's how a human being reacts to what Mark Murphy said last night. Oh, Mark, just shut up. And now here's how Packers Twitter reacts. What a diabolical plan by Mark Murphy to inject himself back into the narrative after just writing that both sides should be quiet. This man is evil. Pull yourselves together. There you have it. Pull yourselves together. Longtime listeners of the Packernet podcast probably don't need to be told to calm down. I think by now, if you are the type to overreact to every little thing and and get really upset at the Packers front office, you probably would have shown yourself the door a long time ago. Maybe not, but my guess is we can all come to agreement on this that, yeah, it's kind of a dumb thing to say. Probably should think a little bit more about the words coming out of your mouth, especially if you're trying to you know, supposedly mend the relationship between you and Rogers. But if you're going to freak out over this, you're going to freak out over literally anything. I bring this up more so so we can just kind of all laugh at it together rather than because I think that any of you need to have your thinking corrected on it. Similarly, I had I had a list of all the Packer, uh, of all the free agents or trade candidates that Packer fans have begged for in the last year. And I thought about going through this and, you know, (laughs) saying, hey, quit it. (laughs) But again, I don't think that most of the listeners to this podcast really need to be told or have it shoved in their face again. Hey, you know, this is kind of stupid. But I will go through the list here so that we all have a frame of reference Again, for just how many players in the last year we've gone through that we had fans just begging for and saying, you have to go get this guy if you want to win a Super Bowl. Um, And I, I tweeted this list back right before the Julio Jones trade was announced. And it was just the height of like fans begging for Julio, which was stupid. And I realized I had left off Richard Sherman. He wasn't even on the list. But my favorite part of this, and I'm sure there are other players besides Sherman that I was forgetting, but my favorite part of this was just how poorly this list has aged. So here's the guys I could remember, plus Richard Sherman. And keep in mind, here are the players that the Packers actually went ahead and made a move on, all right? They re-signed the number one left tackle in the NFL, 
they re-signed Aaron Jones, who was the number one running back in free agency. They also, in the last year, gave Kenny Clark an extension. All right, those were their big moves. Those are the guys they went out and got. They also did finally sign Snacks Harrison. And keep in mind, they were trying to get Snacks for a long time. Sounds like they weren't even, like, lowballing him price-wise. He just didn't really want to come play in Wisconsin. So he went to Seattle instead, moves on from Seattle. Packers finally get him. He's with us for all of five minutes. We will forever have that gif of him with the biggest uh, self-satisfied. There's a um, PG-13 um, term <laughs> that I really want to use, but I'm not going to use on this podcast. Um, but blank grin that uh, he's got plastered over his face after that. I believe it was a false start in uh, the was it the Rams game or the Bucks game? I think it was the Bucks game, which he was supposed to do. That was a designed play that he was supposed to get penalized for that. And he just turns to the camera and he's got, you know, this <laughs> grin wrapping from the back of his head all the way around the front of his head to the other back of his head. And then we didn't re-sign him again. But that's fine. I'll always have that gif and that that's all I really want. Ooh, this is future JJ editing back in an ad break because I forgot to put one in when I was recording earlier. Ooh. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ooh, I'm back. So here's the guys that I could remember that Packers fans have basically rioted for and campaigned for. Starting with... Antonio Brown, Mr. Big Chest himself. And if you're going to sit here and tell me that Antonio Brown had anything to do with the Buccaneers beating the Packers, with the Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl, you're on crack. They were benching other good wide receivers for Antonio Brown. The offense got worse when they tried to introduce him. But somebody out there is going to make a big stink because he's the only guy on this entire list who was on the Super Bowl winning team. And he's the guy that people were begging for the longest. Next up is Dante Pettis. If you don't remember the Dante Pettis hype, I envy you. It sucked. 
There's a very popular Packers podcaster. That's a hard thing to spit out. A little tongue twister. Uh, who made me suffer through what felt like probably a 10-minute long imaginary conversation between Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan talking about, I mean, this is just fan fiction, talking about Dante Pettis. And yeah, so, you know, hey, Kyle, you know, what do you think about Dante Pettis? Uh, We're thinking about maybe maybe trading you guys for him. Uh, You know, how do you think he'd fit in our offense? We're listening to a hypothetical made-up conversation in my memory, it was about 10 minutes long. Probably did not go that long. Dude, people wanted Dante Pettis. Let's just take a hot second and check out where he's been since then. Remember, people were asking for the Packers to give up a second round pick for this guy. All right, so he is on the San Francisco roster. So this was the Dante Pettis hype was before the 2020 season. It was in the offseason. In 2020... He was on the 49ers roster through week five. In that time, he had one target and zero receptions. After week five, remember, Packer fans wanted to give up a second round pick for this guy. He was cut, not traded, and then picked up by the New York Giants. He played for them for two weeks, played against Baltimore and Dallas. He had... Uh, five receptions, sorry, five targets, so six targets on the entire season. Five targets, he had four receptions for the Giants. He caught one touchdown, and that was it. He never did anything else the entire rest of the year. Nothing. Also, by the way, right before San Francisco cut him, he was on special teams duty, and he fumbled a kick return. They end up losing that game by 10 points. I'm not going to spend any more time on Pettis. I'm already annoyed that I had to spend so much of my real life listening to people talk about Pettis a year ago. The next guy was Corey Littleton, who went on to be terrible for the Raiders. Nick Kwiatkowski also, I believe, went on to be terrible for the Raiders. Oh, I guess he wasn't awful. He had 67 grade in 2020, 54 run defense, 62 pass rush. His coverage was 75. That's not terrible. The Raiders sure were terrible. And for what they paid for him, $17.3 million for three years. I just, I don't know, I don't know that it's worth it. Especially when you compare that they also paid $17.4 million for three years for Corey Littleton. And Corey Littleton was horrific. His best grade in 2020 was his pass rush at 50.5%. His overall grade was 47. Whew. And Littleton was definitely the guy fans wanted much more than Kwiatkowski. Kwiatkowski was a little bit more of a a niche thing. Everybody wanted Littleton, and that includes me. I was big on the Littleton train. I was bummed we didn't get him. Glad in hindsight we didn't. Yannick Ngakwe. I don't think I need to remind you (laughs) what the Vikings gave up for Yannick and how his season went. Javon Hargrave, this was, again, a little bit more of a niche thing. I was big on the Javon Hargrave train. He ended up having a 61.2 overall grade for the Eagles. His run defense, which is the the reason I wanted him, was a 48.1. His pass rush, bizarrely, was 83.9. That's 
not the reason that I thought we should have grabbed him. I just wanted him to come in and be our run stopper after that 49ers game. So that would have been a big miss. And plus, he had made like a billion dollars last year. Emmanuel Sanders. Remember that one? Everybody thought for sure that uh, Emmanuel Sanders was going to be the one who was going to lead us to the promised land. Nobody talks about Sanders anymore. Question, do you remember what team he plays for right now? He's not with the Saints anymore. He's not with the 49ers. He's a Buffalo Bill. Did you remember that? Probably not. He was this super hot commodity back when the Packers wanted him, or I should say back when the Packers fans wanted him. He had five touchdowns last year. That's barely more than the three that Alan Lazard had last season, who, by the way, missed like half the season, and it's fewer than MVS had. And the Saints paid $16 million for him last year. The Bills uh, signed him this year for $6 million, so dues value went way down. If you're telling me $16 million, I mean, that's very nearly what we've been paying for Devontae. Uh, actually, only last year and this year, so 2020 and 2021, are the only times that Devontae Adams has made at least $16 million, or I should say counted $16 million against the cap. Prior to that, in 2019, he was 10.8. But we're giving $16 million to Emmanuel Sanders, and Packers fans on social media are losing their minds that the Packers didn't pay that. Okay, going back to my list. Jamal Adams. Remember when we wanted the New York Jets safety and he was going to be just absolutely out of this world paired with uh, Adrian Amos? Guess what? Guess who ended up being better than Jamal Adams last year? Oh, yes. Darnell Savage graded out a 75.3 on the year. Jamal Adams was a 64.2. There is one category. Let me check this. Yeah, one category where Jamal Adams was better than Darnell, and that was pass rush. He had an 86.9. Darnell's with a 79.9. When you look at how much uh, how much less money we're paying Darnell, I'll happily take that. Let's see. Interceptions. Jamal Adams, zero. Darnell, four. Solo tackles. Jamal, 58. Darnell, 65. Receptions allowed. Jamal, 37. Darnell, 16. Jamal's coverage grade was a 53.1. Darnell, 76.7. Look, I wanted Jamal. Ryan wanted Jamal. You probably wanted Jamal. If you didn't, I'm really interested to hear why, unless it was the cost, because that was you know, the, the, the cost to trade for Jamal, because we all thought the cost was going to be a first-round pick and ended up being two first-round picks. Clearly not worth it. Two first round picks for a guy who ended up not being as good as Darnell Savage. But at the time, we all thought it sounded like a great idea. Austin Hooper. Remember that? That was going to be a big deal. Austin Hooper. And then right around the same time, Hayden Hurst. I know that was a big uh, idea that Ryan had. You got to put on your like uh, time travel hat and go back to a year ago and remember how big the hype was around these guys because they went on to have horrible seasons. Austin Hooper, 68.3 overall grade in 2020. He had four touchdowns. Hayden Hurst had six touchdowns, which is fine, but well below what Bobby Tunyon had. 58.9 overall grade. We thought these were fantastic ideas a year ago. Another tight end we all wanted, David Njoku. Njoku had two touchdowns, a 66.9 overall grade. Now, granted, he was like tight end three on that team. So, you know, you can't be too mad about that. But come on. We wanted 
all these guys, we were sure that one of these guys was going to lead us to the promised land. After those three tight ends, you had Mohamed Sanu. Woo! Remember that guy? The guy who's been traded for a second round pick like four times. One touchdown, 65.5 overall grade. Remember, it was the middle of the season in 2019 when Packer fans really wanted us to trade for Sanu. Last season, he had two touchdowns total. Played 15 games, two touchdowns. Starting in the second half of the year after the trade deadline, which I'm not looking up. Let's see, he started out with the Falcons, got traded to the Patriots for a second round pick. He did play for the Patriots the entire rest of the year. He racked up uh, one touchdown for them. So one touchdown for the Falcons, one for the Patriots. They paid a second round pick for this guy. Remember, with our second round picks, we're drafting guys like Elton Jenkins, A.J. Dillon. This year, Josh Myers. Goody said he would have been willing to draft Amari Coop or Amari uh, Rogers with his second round pick if Josh Myers had not been on the board still. And as soon as they pick Josh Myers, he's immediately working the phones again, trying to trip into the very next pick for Amari Rogers. These are the kinds of guys you can get for a second round pick. Or you can throw it away on a half a year rental for Muhammad Sanu and one touchdown. And then at the end of the season, you don't even re-sign him. Starting in 2020, he starts off the season. He plays three weeks for the 49ers. That would be weeks two, three, and four. He does not play again until week 10. He played for Detroit. And on the entire season, he had one touchdown for Detroit. But Packer fans needed Muhammad Sanu. Here's here's my theme for today, by the way. We're all idiots. <laughs> all the free agency, all the trades, they age horribly. They just do. Not Not everyone, but going through the entire list here, how many of these guys can we actually say would have ended up being a great deal for the Packers that you don't regret? Uh, maybe Antonio Brown, but I mean, he's a psychotic lunatic who does evil things. Uh, maybe Nick Kwiatkowski, but they paid a boatload of money for him. I, I don't think that he's worth the value you got out of him. And I don't think linebacker lost us any games last year. All right. After Sanu, Eric Ebron. This was one I never could get behind. I believe he led the league in drops last year. Uh, if he didn't lead the league, he was like the second worst in the entire league. He had an overall PFF grade of 55.6. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers on the whole had horrific problems with drops. But if you don't remember Butterfingers Ebron on the Lions, then you are either too young or you don't pay enough attention to the Lions. He had like a half a good year for the Colts and the coaching staff there hated him. This one made no sense to me ever. The one good thing you could say about the Eric Ebron experiment in Pittsburgh is that he only cost thirty or uh, $3.5 million last year. He did. Uh, he was still guaranteed pretty much his entire contract for 2021. So um, you know, they didn't have any flexibility to move on, but they brought him back this year. But the dude was just straight up not good. Juju Smith-Schuster. If you don't follow the Steelers at all and you are still want Juju, I, I don't even know what to say to you. Like, he's not terrible. Was he going to make any difference at all in that Buccaneers game? Heck no. Remember, I think the 
asking price that uh, you know, members of the media were speculating for Juju was a first round pick, which seems absurd. 68.2 overall grade, nine touchdowns, a boatload of fumbles. I think the thought with Juju was maybe he can be an option for you for wide receiver one that gives you some flexibility in the Devonte contract negotiations. This is one of the lesser bad ideas on this list, but I, I still I still would not have put you know pull the trigger. And like all these guys, most of them, you're going, oh man, I forgot that we wanted them. Or some of them, you're even going, is that a thing? Are you making this up? Next one, Kenny Stills. People were convinced Kenny Stills was going to be the secret sauce. Nearly as bad as the uh, Will Fuller thing, but not quite as bad. That was Will Fuller was like obviously the the biggest, single biggest uh, storyline of the season. Kenny Stills, one touchdown, fifty eight point five PFF grade. He played in ten games last year, one touchdown. Pathetic. Everson Griffin. Big one that I really wanted. Let's look at how his season turned out. Remember, we all wanted him, and then he went to Dallas and was, like, terrible. And then Dallas gave up and traded him to the Lions. He had an overall 63.2 grade. Remember, we wanted him for his run defense. Run defense, 54.5. He had 20 tackles on the season. His pass rush was his only competent grade. That was 73.6. He did rack up seven sacks, but remember, the Lions had, like, nobody. You can you could walk into the, the Detroit Lions building in 2020 and probably have been one of the best pass rushers on the team. He signed a one-year, $6 million deal with the Cowboys and then was traded for a conditional sixth-round pick uh, in 2021 that could become a fifth-rounder. I don't know, and I don't care enough to look up right now whether it did become a fifth-rounder. Because it doesn't matter. We're moving on. Uh, we already covered Njoku. Zach Ertz. Allegedly, the Packers offered a third-round pick to the Eagles for Ertz. Ertz was horrifically terrible last year. Just horrible. Then we get the Will Fuller saga, which ended in Fuller <laughs> getting busted for PEDs and getting suspended for, what, six games? The Texans were demanding no less than a first round pick for this guy for a half a year rental, which he ended up getting suspended anyways. Now, some of that you only know through hindsight. You don't know ahead of time that he's about to get busted for PEDs. But aren't you glad we didn't pull the trigger? Man, they wanted a 2021 first round pick and the rumor was they wanted more than that which means certainly no Eric Stokes. You're giving up Eric Stokes and you are relying on uh, trying to find a corner you like starting the second round or later, which means no Josh Myers, probably means no Amari Rogers, you got the trickle-down effect, and you are probably still leaning on Kevin King plus a later round pick. For what? If he doesn't get busted for a PED, you get a half a year rental for Will Fuller and the opportunity to try and negotiate with him to sign a long-term contract. And remember, we don't have any money. The next one was easily the stupidest one of the entire year, Randall Cobb. I'm not going to waste any breath on that, but that was a thing. Uh, J.J. Watt, I'm also not going to talk about that one because I was never on that train. I know a lot of you were, and so I'm not going to insult you. I never liked that idea. 
And remember, the later on we get in this list, the more recent these things are. And so there are there's less time and stats and proof that have accumulated for people to go back and be like, oh, yeah, you know, that didn't really age very well. Remember, at the beginning of this list, I'm running through these names and you're hearing guys and you're going, what? There's no way. People weren't actually seriously begging for Dante Pettis. Oh, yes, they were. Now you're looking at these recent guys and you're going, J.J. Ah, Watt? Mm, yeah. No, I still want him. That would still be awesome because, like, not much has changed since then. Uh, Snacks Harrison. So remember, J.J. Watt started back before uh, the trade deadline was over because people wanted to trade for J.J., which was stupid. Then J.J. gets cut, or I should say released from his contract by his request, and then the J.J. Watt sweepstakes start. But in between those two separate J.J. Watt incidents, you had people begging for the 90th time that year. And I was part of it for Snacks Harrison. We got Snacks Harrison. Did you like it? I don't think so. And then finally, wrap everything up with people begging for Richard Sherman and Patrick Peterson. Two very expensive and old guys. Uh, you know, Sherman is still pretty good. Patrick Peterson is still, or I should say, is not that good anymore. Do you like Eric Stokes? Are you happy with that pick? Are you excited for him? If so, I don't think you're still in favor of either of those trades. Well, free agency signings, whatever. So this has been your first episode of holding ourselves accountable. And again, the theme of this episode is we're all idiots and we don't know what we're talking about. And that might be just what I title this episode. Hi, future JJ here again. This is uh, ad break number two because I didn't add this one in either. Future JJ back again. Let's jump into past JJ recording back when he forgot to edit in an ad break. So we're almost out of time for today, so I'm going to go ahead and dig into this uh, Excel project that I whipped up. So let me elaborate for you on what exactly is going on here. So you understand strength of schedule. This is you when the... 2021 schedule is released, which it has been already. Uh, people will take everybody that the Packers are facing this year and they'll look at how good the team was last year. And they come up with the average win rate of all of the teams that you played or all the teams that you play this year, how what their average win rate was last year. OK, Does that makes sense. And you judge it against all the rest of the league. This metric is about as close to useless as you can get. Why? Last year, the 2020 season, before the season began, the Baltimore Ravens were projected to have the easiest schedule in the league. The Patriots were projected to have the most difficult schedule in the league. All right. Ravens at easiest, Patriots at hardest. How did it actually shake out? The Ravens had the 19th hardest schedule in the league. The Patriots had the sixth hardest. The Packers were projected to have the 18th hardest schedule in 2020. They ended up with the number one easiest schedule in the league. Nobody played an easier schedule than they did. Part of what I wanted to know is, is there a way that we can come up with an answer to the uh, cupcake schedule argument? In other words, look at the Steelers last year, okay? Um, the argument that everybody has with the Steelers is they're not that good. They're just playing terrible opponents. 
Well, it is true that they were projected to have the second hardest or second easiest schedule in the league um, at the beginning of the year. But also, you can't pick and choose who you're playing against. And if you have a really easy schedule, the expectation is you're going to dominate it. Interestingly, the Steelers ended up with the second easiest schedule in the league. So they were one of the few teams that ended up exactly where we kind of thought they would be at the start of the season. As you can see, that does not hold across every team. And the projections of who's going to have an easy or hard schedule every year stink. And what I kind of tried to come up with here is, is there a way that we can measure not just who are we playing, but who are the people we're playing playing? In other words, you expect somebody who has a really easy schedule to do really well if they're a good team. If they are playing a tough schedule and they are still a really good team, you would expect them to still do decently well against that tough schedule. So I have a ton of information here and you can use it to answer a ton of different questions. And I'm just going to highlight, I guess, some of the more interesting things that I found while analyzing this information. So I have a, a column here that I came up with that I call quality of wins. And there's probably a better way to name it, but this is what I came up with was quality of wins. So you're looking at not just are you be, are you winning most of your games, but which opponents are you beating? For example, the Baltimore Ravens had the highest point differential in the entire league. They outscored their opponents by 165 points. They didn't do very good. They had a .688 win rate on the season, which puts them at ninth. I would expect the team with the highest point differential um, who had a relatively easy schedule to start the season out. Let me sort this. They had to start it out. They had the, yeah, the easiest schedule and they outscored their opponents by 165 points. I would expect them to be a really good team better than the number nine team, which is basically you're better than um, two out of three teams. So the single best team in the league, according to the numbers that I can put together, was the Kansas City Chiefs. They were not just winning most of their games. They were beating their good opponents. Now, the Packers were in the top three. However, they faced a much easier schedule. So to have faced an easier schedule than the number one and number two teams, I would hope they'd have a better record. So compared to the Chiefs and the team that is in second place, I would say the Packers kind of underperformed. And when you look at the games they lost, there was a you know complete meltdown against the Buccaneers, who did go on to win the Super Bowl. There was a very, very problematic game against the Colts that was just hamstrung by an offense that could not get going again in the second half and special teams that could do nothing right for the whole game. And you look at the Minnesota Vikings game where, again, it just kind of fell apart and nobody looked good. Yeah, I would say they underperformed the Chiefs and the number two team. The number two team was the Buffalo Bills. They had the exact same record as the Packers, but they stand out wildly from all the rest of the teams that are um, around them in the top 10. In the top 10 
there is one team that had a harder schedule, and that was the Rams. But the Bills are the only team that had a hard schedule out of the top eight teams. Everybody else outside the top eight teams had pretty easy schedules. The Bills ended up having the 16th hardest schedule in the league. Um, You look at, at all the teams that had really tough schedules. Nobody even made the playoffs. All right, here's in in reverse. Here's the what ended up being the hardest schedule. We're going backwards. Starting with the hardest schedule of the entire league last year was the Denver Broncos. Then you had the Atlanta Falcons. Then you had the Houston Texans. San Francisco, Philadelphia, Jacksonville, Carolina, Las Vegas, and the New York Jets. Those are the 10... I guess to make it 10, I got to include the Bengals. Those are the 10 teams with the hardest schedules. And unsurprisingly, all of them missed the playoffs. All of them were pretty terrible teams. After that, you get three more teams who had really tough schedules. The Lions, Vikings, and Giants. All right. So one more is going to put us at the 15th hardest schedule uh, at the end of the season, which is our first playoff team. And that is the Ravens. If you're a little bit confused about where the Ravens lie, I have spit out a few different numbers. I've told you where they were projected to have uh, their schedule rank and then where they actually did. So they started out being projected with the easiest schedule. They ended up having it uh, be one of the tougher ones. They they have the hardest schedule out of any playoff team. And the very next one is the Buffalo Bills. And the Bills stand out significantly in the playoff seating. With that being said, I thought it was interesting to put together a stat that calculates how good were you minus how good were you expected to be. And so there you get a difference of, you know, real life. So the uh, Kansas City Chiefs had the smallest negative difference. In other words, They were expected to do this good, and they only missed being that good by just the smallest fraction out of anybody in the league. Number two was the Green Bay Packers. Behind them, interestingly, because of how many games they won, you had the Buffalo Bills. So in this metric only, the Bills and Packers flip-flop from uh, second and third place. Now from here, I have just two more numbers I want to show you. I came up with a fun stat. I took... How good were the opponents that you faced throughout the throughout the course of the year um, and subtract that from how good you were? And this gives you an interesting number because it kind of shows you how much you're beating up on other teams. And the Baltimore Ravens just beat the absolute snot out of the bad teams and then lost to all the good teams. But I'm judging that number then against the earlier number of how good were you expected to be. And I came up with a stat that I just call your underperformance. So this is with the schedule that you had, and I'm not taking into account, you know, your talent, but just the number of games that you won against the schedule that you had. And we are using the final schedule, not the projected schedule. So this is not the, Oh yeah, you know, the season hasn't started yet, but uh, we believe that, 
or the Patriots are going to have the hardest schedule. Oh, no, shoot. They only have the, uh, the the sixth easiest schedule. Now, this is after the season's over. All right. So this is my underperform column. This is the only time where you can sort these numbers and have a team that performed worse than the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that's because comparatively, the Jaguars had one of the hardest schedules in football. There's a team that had a much easier schedule than them and was therefore expected to win many more games than they did. (laughs) The Houston Texans, according to my little number here, which some mathematicians may find fault with, but I think my math is pretty solid here. The Houston Texans underperformed the worst out of any team in the league. Think about it. Conventional wisdom would kind of uphold this. Yeah, the Jaguars almost went winless and they only won one game, but were you expecting much more from them? The Houston Texans, before the season, were absolutely expected to be a playoff team, one of the better teams in the league. No, sir. And now, heading into the 2021 season, I think most people would at least put the Texans in their top three worst teams in the league. But this stat, again, shows Kansas City having the best season. In other words, they underperformed the least. And in second place, you had the Green Bay Packers, who underperformed just slightly more than Kansas City did. And then you get an interesting team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Remember, they had kind of a harder schedule to start the year, and they won a ton of games. Do you think that they underperformed? I think most people would think that they overperformed, that they won more games than their talent actually allowed for. And remember, none of my numbers here are taking talent into account. They are just taking the schedule you had and the uh, wins that you had and which teams you won against. And even with leaving out what the talent is, which I don't even know how you'd quantify that, uh, this table still says that the Texans had the worst season and the Steelers overperformed to be the third best team in the league. I just found that really interesting. And I'm sure the last question on your mind here is, well, where do the rest of the NFC North rank? Good question, because there's a lot of columns here that are kind of hard to sort through. Okay, Chicago was the 18th best. So Green Bay was the second best. Chicago was the 18th best. Uh, They did make the playoffs as the first ever uh, wild card number three for the NFC. And then, of course, Mitch Trubisky won the uh, Nickelodeon trophy, whatever you call it, the MVP. Minnesota ranks very poorly on this list as well. They are the 20th worst team in, I should say, 20th best team in terms of underperforming. And the Lions are not far behind them at 23. So I hope that you found this interesting. I found it super interesting. Uh, If you want to see the spreadsheet and play with it yourself, shoot me a message. I'll happily share it with you. And uh, I guess that's going to do it. I'm going to wrap this up, get this posted. You all have a fabulous weekend. Not sure what the plan is for tomorrow's podcast. I'm going to guess that Ryan's back on with his normally scheduled programming. Uh, But uh, we'll see. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, again, I apologize that I did not have a ton of stuff like super prepared for this episode. Uh, you know, it's what happens when you get short notice that you got to record. And uh, it, it came down to no episode today or you guys listening to a 
slightly underprepared for episode. So, you know, I warned you up front. So if you hated this episode, you know, who's really to blame here? Is it me who didn't have anything prepared? Is it Ryan who overslept? Or is it you for listening after I told you I didn't have anything prepared? I, I think we all know the answer here. Have a good one, everybody. Go Pack Go. Bye-bye. <laughs>